This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. We're always looking for new ideas and topics from our listeners, so please reach out, share your ideas. You can email us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com or connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and you can find links to all that in the show notes. Now, on to this week's episode. It's really about an ambulatory strategy, not an ASC strategy. The ambulatory strategy is much broader than just shifting of procedures. It does include the home. It does include virtual consults, remote patient monitoring, all of that coordination that you put in place for transitioning patients across the care continuum is really part of that broader ambulatory strategy. Hello, and welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I am your host, Kelly Richard, and today we'll continue our system of care series with part two, ambulatory optimization. If you have not listened yet, we encourage you to listen to part one, channel strategy. However, there's no need to listen in order. To talk ambulatory optimization, we have with us Mike Streleski, SG2 Consulting Principal, SG2 Intelligence Team Cardiovascular Service Line Experts, Chad Geese, Associate Principal, and Josh Aker, Director. All of our guests today are distinguished veterans of the podcast. Welcome back, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, nice to be here. Yeah, great to be here. When we talk to SG2 members all over the country, we have noticed that ambulatory strategy is really top of mind for everyone. Before we get into exactly what aspect of it is, Mike, why do you think that that's so important now? Well, I think the story has always been about growth in ambulatory for a long time. And I think we've just seen an acceleration of what growth means in the ambulatory space over the last handful of years. Every health system, for the most part, has set a growth agenda, and that agenda has to include what their plan's going to be for, for ambulatory. You complicate that with the fact that we've seen all these disruptors and new entrants come in and private equity and investment dollars flowing in to disrupt this space. So it's complicating what the playing field looks like and everyone's trying to figure out what space they're going to own. On the cardiovascular side, what's really driven the interest in ambulatory is the addition of procedures by CMS to the ASC reimbursement list, starting a few years ago with diagnostic caths. A couple of years ago with the addition of PCI, it's really piqued everybody's interest. And so this is a what's old is new again story. In the early 2000s, we had ambulatory freestanding cath labs sprinkled throughout the United States. Payment changes made that business model not sustainable. We had a pull back to the hospital facility for those procedures in particular. And here we are now, CMS driving some of this transition back to the ambulatory space. And that's really gotten our hospital and hospital systems interested in understanding this space and trying to plan for it. Thanks, Chad. That makes a lot of sense. Josh, any thoughts? One of the largest stories about that ambulatory shift has been orthopedics. And that really is driving a lot of popular press or a lot of the notions that this is a a large tidal wave that is moving through. And some of that variation is at the service line level. So now we're really talking with our clients, trying to understand what are the exact procedures that are going to shift? What does that look like? What is the timing? The larger ambulatory shift masks that there's a lot of variability and a lot of differences in how organizations are going to go at this strategy. From a strategy standpoint, I'd be curious to get your opinions on this. 
We started the ambulatory discussion years ago with a concern that particularly physician-owned facilities were at risk for higher utilization. That was the stigma. The concern was utilization was driven up when physicians owned something. Then the reimbursement got cut. All of that pulled back into the hospital. Not sure the utilization changed dramatically or at all, and costs went up. So now from a payer-driven strategy, if you put your hat on, beyond the denial process, the only other way to manage the cost is you drive the procedure to a lower cost setting. If you don't believe utilization is unnecessary, and I think that's kind of what we're seeing right now with the ambulatory growth is the pressure on cost overall. And one of the easier strategies is to just shift the site of care. Yeah, Mike, you bring up a great point around appropriateness and utilization. On the CV side, we've made a lot of progress on ensuring procedures are appropriate. About the same time things came back into the hospital setting, appropriate use criteria by the American Heart Association in collaboration with multiple other clinical societies put some of those together for some of these high utilization procedures like diagnostic cath, PCI, pacemakers, and ICDs. And as such, we've seen a decline in those procedure volumes over the years. It's certainly something that's top of mind. And being done in that hospital setting has also given us the ability to track the outcomes associated with those procedures in a much more streamlined way. There's an infrastructure, there's a data and analytics platform and registries that the hospitals are participating in. And that doesn't necessarily exist in that ASC or freestanding cath lab environment. Well, Chad, it's interesting that you brought up efficiency as being something that is happening in the hospital setting, uh, because we always think of the opposite, right? But that's a great point in sort of taking a step back when we're thinking about how health systems are using their assets and services to achieve better efficiency and effectiveness. And Mike, in your conversations that you're having with health systems, what aspects of the system of care are they most interested in optimizing? We did touch a little bit on the ASC shift from inpatient to outpatient. What are the targets based on these cost issues, the utilization issues? The areas that are trying to be optimized, I don't know that we can remove that from the list because that's such a huge concern for everyone. And even though I realize this is maybe an ambulatory discussion, I still want to start at the hospital because that's frankly where these discussions start with everyone. What's our current capacity? What's the physical plant look like? What are our capital reinvestment needs? And what's the market demand looking like? And how are we going to adjust to that over time? And where does our hospital as a facility sort of fit into the long-term needs to serve our community? When you start there, that helps to have a discussion around how do we optimize what we have today? And is there a better option to expand capacity outside of the hospital and expand the sites of care across that continuum that we have access? to. And that's where the ASC discussion typically comes in when it's a heck of a lot cheaper to expand OR capacity via an ASC than it would be to add on ORs to a hospital. Yeah, Chad, I think there's some great nuance to this. If you want to talk a little bit more about how this plays out in the CV service line, that would be great. Sure. And I use ambulatory space purposefully because the outpatient shift we've seen happen over the last 10 years or so, but it's primarily been an outpatient status change. The procedures have remained in the hospital facility. And this ambulatory strategy is now focused on how do we take some of that procedure volume from the cath lab, the EP lab, and the vascular interventional lab and move them out to around optimization of site of care, 
lower cost settings. There's real value in enabling that shift to happen. And when we talk to physicians about this shift, they say, certainly I'd be willing to do a procedure in the ASC and interventional cardiology procedure if I knew it was safe to do so. The willingness is there, but we have a very data-driven physician specialty that really wants to ensure that the quality and outcomes will also be there. We feel that this is going to be kind of a slow transition, honestly. And it's in part because the infrastructure is not there. It's in part because we have a very high acuity patient population. About 65% of patients' cardiovascular volumes are above the age of 65. We have an older population that's higher acuity, that has more comorbidities. And so there are some real clinical decisions to be made around which patients are suitable for that ambulatory shift. Yeah, Chad, and I'll actually draw a connection between what you were saying and what Mike was saying, starting with the hospital. One of the key elements is that we actually don't have a lot of data because those ASCs are not necessarily always owned by the hospital. There really isn't the infrastructure to collect all that data to track those patients and those long-term outcomes. Organizations, when they do think about shifting to ASCs or kind of having to guess what the outcomes financially are going to be. You referenced MedPAC, and I think, A, they're one of the organizations that is really trying to push for this ASC data collection, particularly because Medicare is starting to really think about that side of care shift and how can we lower the cost. In MedPAC's most recent report to Congress in March of 2020, they do a whole section on ASCs and of about 5,200 ASCs that see Medicare patients, 88 of them are for cardiovascular services. So that's about 1.7%. We have some information. We know what this looks like in states that, for example, don't have certificate of need, but that really hasn't proliferated nationally because because some of that knowledge and data is lacking. So it's hard for an organization to de novo build, taking up to two years to build a new facility, really understanding the financials of what would shift out and what would replace it, and how that's going to change, for example, their physician alignment strategies. That's really great because when we talk about the shift to the ASC, oftentimes it's thought of ortho all shifted out. We need to move really quickly. And what this is really helpful in understanding is the clinical nuance, the infrastructure nuance, just understanding if we are going to shift things out. It's not as easy as changing a regulation or a policy. It may require a lot more data inputs to really truly understand the situation, particularly if you add in market-specific factors. When we talk about policy changes, we just had an announcement come out from CMS, I think it was yesterday, putting the brakes a little bit on the inpatient-only list phase-out. Josh, do you want to provide a little bit of context around that? So this is proposed. We're not yet sure that it's going to happen happen for 2022 is that CMS is revisiting a lot of the decisions that were made in the previous administration. The two key areas that they're revisiting is the sunsetting of the inpatient only list and the expansion and how particularly procedures are added to the ASC covered procedure list. 
in the previous administration, and so last year for 2021, which we're in right now, regulatory-wise, CMS tried to remove themselves from clinical decision-making. They would make recommendations, they would understand some of the nuance, provide some data, but ultimately it was down to a local level. With the new proposed rule, they're going to put the brakes on that, both reevaluate procedures that were taken off the inpatient-only list or added to the ASC-covered procedure list. You as an organization or as a public citizen could nominate certain procedures to move off the inpatient-only list or to be added to the ASC-covered procedure list. And that then gives CMS time to really understand the data, to reach out to clinical organizations, think maybe the Heart Rhythm Society, the American Heart Association, the American College of Cardiology, to really gather data about what is in the best interest of patients, both from a quality perspective, and then also because this is CMS as a payer from a cost perspective. That's spot on, Josh. The implications of all of this might mean that this ambulatory shift will slow as that portfolio of procedures remains a little bit more contained than we may have originally thought, unless you propose a whole bunch of other procedures that to be added to the ASC reimbursement list, as Josh mentioned, the public citizens can do this now. What's top of mind for you, Mike? That's definitely not something I'm going to be doing anytime soon. They can cut reimbursement and that will drive change right? So the inpatient only list was sort of a different tactic around the appropriateness of sites that they felt could be delegated effectively to a market, to the clinicians to decide. They've released temporarily. Josh, any thoughts? One of the interesting potentials from this is maybe the shift of ambulatory procedures is going to slow. But when they are allowed to shift, there's a much broader consensus. It actually may make uh, strategy planning a little bit easier because you're not really trying to coordinate between your clinical staff, your strategy, and then your financial staff there's a little bit more understanding of the known qualities going into some of the decision-making. And it doesn't mean we advocate to not plan for this. It follows a bit of a similar path as preparing for value-based care delivery. If you are going to deliver on bundles, start preparing before you take those bundles to market. And that's been one of our messages for the last many years. Start preparing, know your costs, know where your margin is across various sites so that you can plan for that shift and flip the switch when necessary. Thanks, Chad. That's a great point. At the end of the day, most of this, if not all of it, is really driven by cost. And the fact that we have to have this conversation is because the costs are so high. And so understanding how to utilize your system of care in a more efficient way is the end goal in terms of timing and pace. Those are the things that are being moderated a little bit by CMS. We talked a lot about the ASC, and I know that that's appropriate based on the impact that it potentially has. But when we're thinking about other sites of care where we might see some shifts, what are those other things that we're seeing? Mike, let's go to you first. Sure. Anything that can shift to home as an overarching site of care, we're seeing a lot of investment in companies that frankly, are not healthcare providers that might consider themselves to be data companies with care management platforms that can sort of accelerate and then support how care is delivered in a home setting. I don't think it addresses the workforce problem because the workforce is still the same skills that you need at the home that you would need in the hospital. We know we're, we're facing some work, workforce challenges today. 
It certainly does not address an access issue in many cases, because a lot of times the markets that are shifting to home are actually those with a tremendous amount of inpatient capacity today. We're not seeing that service sort of easily developed or distributed to the rural settings, which actually would probably benefit the most because of the workforce challenges. You still have some rate limiting issues around how you scale, how you provide that service. And at this point, it feels like really a cost first strategy and probably patient convenience second. And that's really what's driving that trend. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, Mike, I actually like how you've framed this. It's really about an ambulatory strategy, not an ASC strategy. Josh and I talk about this with our cardiovascular members every day. The ambulatory strategy is much broader than just shifting of procedures. It does include the home. It does include virtual consults, remote patient monitoring, all of that coordination that you put in place for transitioning patients across the care continuum is really part of that broader ambulatory strategy. Josh, what are we seeing on the CV side that is relevant here? Looking at our baseline data, about 2% of cardiovascular procedures and select diagnostics are in the ASC. But Chad, you kind of raised a more important point of broader ambulatory view of what's going on. If we were to zoom in, for example, on peripheral endovascular procedures, those have jumped, quote unquote, over the ASC and are being performed in the office-based lab. About 90% of those endovascular peripheral procedures are already outpatient. So that outpatient shift has already occurred. Of those outpatient, about 50% of them are in those office-based labs. So they're already ambulatory. It's actually something that our clients kind of ask us of why we believe there's actually a low shift potential for that particular procedure. And the reason is it's already shifted. In some markets, some procedures, and some organizations, this shift happened a while ago. So really dive deep into what you have done and what worked and understand what procedures aren't shifted shifting for a variety of reasons. It may be your clinicians don't feel comfortable without a surgical backup. It may be that they're employed and there's maybe not as much of a financial gain for them to be truly off campus. Understand what you did and what is working, but also understand why things have yet to shift and take the time, as Chad mentioned, to really think more broadly about what an ambulatory strategy is going to look like. Just to kind of wrap us up here, if you're thinking about any shift to a lower cost site of care within your organization, Mike, when you have these conversations, how do you approach doing that analysis and helping organizations make those decisions? The first thing that you've got to realize when you're going down this path is you've got to grow the overall pie that you're trying to capture. If you just start with attributable lives, you've got to grow the number of attributable lives to your network and then manage cytocare shifts within that larger pie so that you don't currently sacrifice some of the efficiencies of your higher acuity sites like your hospitals. The only way this works is growth and the challenges that you're competing with a lot of other organizations that are also trying to do the very same thing. If we just think of the basic ASC framework, if you're shifting volume out of your hospital, you're decreasing contribution margin at the hospital level, you're driving new contribution margin in the ASC setting, but when you add those two together, they don't add up to what you had before. So you've sacrificed contribution margin unless you've grown your overall surgical volume and then hopefully as well sort of driven some downstream capture based on either affiliating with new surgeons, growing into new markets, expanding the reach with which patients travel to see you so that you're growing your overall volume. That's the only way the math works. 
I would just add to what Mike's describing here is that we look for that burning platform. What is it that really get the physicians on board to help facilitate this shift, to put the protocols together, to coordinate care? And it oftentimes is the hospital capacity. If you're at capacity, building additional lab space on the hospital campus is much more expensive than building a freestanding facility. If you're at capacity within your cath labs and your EP labs and you're looking at your forecast and it only looks like you will have an increase in lab volumes over the next five and 10 years, it might make sense to approach this. And then we tick through some of the key decision points, which include the regulatory environment, think CON here, the clinical environment or clinical patient population you're trying to manage more efficiently and in a cost-effective site of care. The physician's alignment piece, we kind of put that in our strategic bucket. And then finally, the financial impact. And that one is no small factor to consider here. But those are some of the things that we talk about with our members on a daily basis here. Well, there's no shortage of nuance and complexity when working through these types of decisions. Thank you all for coming on the podcast and helping talk us through this. Hope to have you on all again soon. Look forward to it. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. This has been another episode of SG2 Perspectives. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter at SG2 Healthcare. You can also reach us via email at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Reach out and let us know what healthcare trends are most important to you. Please also listen and subscribe to our colleague, Dr. Tom Villanueva's Modern Practice Podcast on Vizian's Medical Leadership Channel. Tom discusses key healthcare trends through the clinical leadership lens. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.